Welcome to MMO, the Mike Mike and Oscar show. They cover films then, win the gold, but now we're talking Pixar films for all of these shows. From Toy Story 1 up through Toy Story 4, this is the MMO, the Pixar Rewatch Show. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, an entry into our Pixar Rewatch series. I don't know what episode in a row this is of this, but we're really screaming through them in the build-up to Toy Story 4. I am your co-host, Mike One. I almost called myself also Mike, but you're also Mike. I'm Mike One. This is The Good Dinosaur. Mike, your thoughts on this movie? This is not a good dinosaur. <laughs> I've seen better dinosaurs. Let's just say that much. I like. Do you, did you watch the TV show Dinosaurs when it was on ABC? Yes, I did. Day? Didn't they have their series finale was the comet hitting Earth? Or am I misremembering? Yeah, the comet hits Earth. Now, if you're going to retcon that, <laughs> you need to make more sense of the plot line. Retconning the Big Bang. Yeah. They retcon the Big yeah. Bang in the very first scene. It can't all wind up the same way. So we talk glowingly. Yep. About Pixar and their movies throughout this entire ordeal, this entire series. <laughs> They've all been hits. They've all made massive amounts of money. This is the one true outlier in a lot of ways. It came out in the same year as another Pixar because movie. Because it got pushed back. <laughs> it made no money at the box office. It actually was the only Pixar film Because it money. sucks ass. It had all kinds of disrupt and, and distrust in its backstory and its production backstory. Because everybody realized it sucked ass. <laughs> We're going to get into all of it. Uh... As Mike is hinting at, it may be the most negative we have to say about I Pixar film. I have said yet. sucked ass. It's like I was 12 years old and I wore a backwards cap. Sorry. So if you've not joined us for a Pixar uh, rewatch episode yet, into our series yet, this is part 11, I believe, uh, covering the good dinosaur. What these are is we go franchise by franchise through the Pixar filmography in the lead up to Toy Story 4, which we imagine is going to be competing for at least best animated feature at the Oscars this year, if not best picture, best original screenplay who knows what else we're going franchise by franchise through all the pixar movies and we divide every review into two halves we have the non-spoiler half which is the first half of every one of these reviews so if you've not seen the movie yet don't worry we're not going to spoil it for you yet we will have a spoiler warning after the non-spoiler section the second half of every review is spoiler filled uh what we're going to do to differentiate these episodes from our oscar sprint profiles is that in the non-spoiler section we're concentrating on the story of pixar the company how these movies got made where the company was where it grew to upon, upon release kind of a snapshot in time for all these movies in the spoiler section we are concentrating on the 22 rules of screenwriting success that pixar had released some years ago that have permeated their way throughout screenwriting classes across the country and we're matching a rule up to every movie that we review mm -hmm. now the way we start the non-spoiler section which we're about to enter now for the good dinosaur is also mike here runs us through the cast and crew and what a cast this turned out to be versus what it was supposed to be yeah, you're going to have a lot of backstory information. Mm. We'll have a few production nuggets for us. But to give you the broad strokes, because mm. there's a lot here, directed by Peter Sohn. He's from the animation and art departments of many other Pixar films. I think he came over with The Incredibles. He took over for Bob Peterson, as you're going to get into. Yeah. Peterson was flying high after Up. Yes, pun intended. <laughs> Fly, flying high after Up, that was a huge success. So they figure, all right, let's give this co-director sure. his own director chair for his own movie. 
didn't work out. Meg Lafave, who had just fixed the script for Brave. Kind of turning into the Pixar closer here with scripts. Pixar fixer, the Pixar closer. You know, she does her best after a slew of people worked on this story. Mm. Mike will get into it. As for the cast, we have Bernard from Westworld, Jeffrey Wright coming in for John Lithgow playing yeah. Papa. So no John Lithgow. Yes, Jeffrey Wright. All right, fine. We have Francis McDormand from Three Billboards, Oscar winner a couple years ago. The only original cast member from announcement to actually production that stuck with this movie was Frances McDormand. She is mama. Mm -hmm. We have From That Thing You Do and Saving Silverman, Steve Zahn playing a villain in this movie. I didn't even know that. I did not realize that was him. How about that? Pterodactyl, thunderclap. We have True Bloods and and X-Men's Rogue, Anna Paquin. She's Ramsey. Yes. And we have Spokesman. Here we go. Of course. The banquet The only reason we did this Pixar rewatch series was to get to this moment for you. (laughs) He is playing Butch the T Rex. Uh, of course, you have John Ratzenberger playing someone or something. I forget. I Listen, I know we said I don't remember who Ratzenberger was in Inside Out. I didn't even hear his voice in this movie. But he plays Earl. I think it's one of the Ravenger things or what. It has to be sure. either a Ravenger or it has to be a T-Rex. I don't know which. Yeah, I, I, I am lost as far as his involvement in this one. But he plays a dinosaur named Earl. Got that check. Playing the kids, we have Marcus Scribner, Raymond Ochoa, and Jack Bright playing the younger dinosaurs. Mike, you have the history of the Pixar company on this one. Look, 10 straight episodes covering 13 (laughs) Pixar films already. I've really tried to forge a general through line as to how each of these films were made. All right, from its inception through its production, I've tried to form a narrative centered around creativity and personal motivations. Like a beautiful lunch that lead to the film's reception and the company of yeah. Pixar's growth from there. You got a beautiful field trip thrown in. I I don't have it for this one. No. All right, I just I don't have it in me. I just don't. I'm sorry. Nothing I've read has successfully answered the question as to why they felt they needed to make and release this film. Right. Uh, there are quotes such as quote. It's time to do a movie where you get to know a dinosaur. What it's really like to be a dinosaur and to be with a dinosaur was an actual quote from original director Bob Peterson. There's controversy, such as said director Peterson, like Mike told you, being removed from the picture sometime in 2013 for what would be Pixar's actually fourth time changing their director in their previous eight films. So they're cocky, man. They think it's been working, yeah. but... Uh. Yeah, and there's even the the... Straying from the norm, the obvious glaring failure that this film would be, as it would turn out to be the first Pixar film of record to be a money loser, and a serious one at that, but nothing about this film's production truly makes sense to me. It sounds like it was something that was greenlit as a Peterson passion project, because like you got from that quote, he was very, wanted to do something with dinosaurs, and making dinosaurs realistic and kid-friendly and all that. He hit a brick wall with its story, eventually resulting in his being removed from the project by producer Denise Beam because of the story's disarray, And that, eventually, Pixar just wanted to put the thing out, figuring it was as good as it's going to get after numerous revisions, numerous writers coming in and trying to help out with various portions of the films, and numerous delays, as the film was actually originally meant to debut in November of 2013, which Mm -hmm. was two years, two full years, 
before it actually hit theaters. So, in fact, all of the rewrites would eventually cost the film most of its original cast, as Disney announced in 2013 that participating in the film in the first place was originally going to be, like also Mike just told you, John Lithgow, along with Lucas Neff, Francis McDormand, Neil Patrick Harris, Judy Greer, and Bill Hader. Mm. And like we said, of those, only McDormand actually made it to the film. Uh, and basically, what I surmise from my research is that the lesson learned from this production process was not even Pixar is immune to putting out what could be considered a mediocre to subpar film when the production process is one filled with strife and all sorts of volatility. We talk all the time on this show about how Look at the production process. If there's all kinds of turnover and turmoil and a lot of butting heads, it seems like, rarely will that come together in a cohesive picture that's a success. Yeah, for every Rogue One, there's 50 good dinosaurs. Right. That's a, that's a fair way to put it. So that's, you know, if you want better history of Pixar segments, go listen to our previous 10 films in this series. I'm sorry. There's also, I couldn't do it. But no, but there's, this is, there's a major cover-up. With this, this is their one stinker. So there's not it's a lot. So of bizarre. Yeah. Like this is like the Incredible Hulk of the MCU. Right. It just is so out of place. So I have one production nugget to add on to that. They were basing the story originally, the Bob Peterson draft, on the film Billy Elliot. They said it was basically supposed to be a bunch of strong characters, brothers and sisters, super strong dinosaurs, right? And you got that one outcast, that oddball, that wimpy kid. And they had a big society of dinosaurs, and it, it all fit into place, right? Sure. But somehow, like, it vilified the dinosaurs at, at every turn in the third act. And they, they kept saying to themselves, we can't fix the third act. Well, usually a third act problem stems from acts right. one and two, especially act one. So this Billy Elliot story about a misfit dinosaur doesn't work because they didn't make it Billy Elliot. So if they made it Billy Elliot, it would have worked. Because Billy Elliot's a terrific movie. I'm going to get into all of that, but uh, we'll go right back to Mike here for some specs. Yeah. Just a bizarre film all around. Uh, some specs for The Good Dinosaur. A lot of credits going out in this one, because like we said, a lot of cooks were in the kitchen making this stew. Peter Son, who had only written and directed the Pixar animated short Partly Cloudy on his CV prior to this. That's a great short, though. It is. He gets the lone director's credit. All right. The writers. <laughs> Bob Peterson gets the original concept and development by credit, which apparently is a thing. Son, Eric Benson, Meg LaFave, Kelsey Mann, and Peterson all get story by credits. LaFave also gets a screenplay by credit because, as we discussed in the Inside Out review and just said previously here, she's kind of the fixer or the closer for Pixar scripts at the time. Peter Hedges, yes, that Peter Hedges of Ben is Back fame from 2018. Father of Lucas. Yes, father of Lucas has his. And Adrian Molina, they each get additional screenplay material by credits. Again, a lot of writers having to do with a lot of different segments of this movie could be why it's a disjointed. What's that old saying? If you had a committee make a, draw up a horse, you'd get a camel? That's yeah. kind of what this reminds me of. <laughs> Film debuted November 10th, 2015 in Paris, went wide in the U.S. two weeks later on November 25th, a 94-minute runtime on a PG rating. Walt Disney Pictures and Pixar Animation Studios are the production companies with, say it with me now, Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures doing the distribution, yeah. no longer Buena Vista. 
Michael and Jeff Dana get credit for the music in what would be Eva's first time working for Pixar. Interesting to note there. Sharon Callahan does the camera. Mayar Abu Saidi does the lighting, both who have worked with Pixar numerous times in the past. Mm -hmm. Stephen Schaefer is back again doing the editing. Let's talk about the finances for this. A $175 million budget went into this, and it ended up grossing $332 million worldwide, which is usually the domestic number for a Pixar movie, but no, $332 was the final worldwide number. $123 million of that came domestically, but as the numbers indicate, it would be the first Pixar film to not make a profit, as it made roughly $1.90 gross for every $1 put into production, and as The Hollywood Reporter cited it, it was a loser of roughly $85 million for the company. So that's better than them not putting it out and them losing all the money, obviously. It's not sure. as good. Yeah, it's not look, as, yeah, yeah, I mean, how much you recoup they, something. How much are they making per picture on average? Probably a couple hundred million. So they're okay. Yeah, and that's the, one of the things the Hollywood Reporter article goes on to cite, that the Disney stock didn't take a hit at all. Pixar had made enough money that they could just swallow this loss. And again, you know, on your, what, 14th film, they had the first one not make money. You're doing okay for yourself as a as a studio, so that's that's pretty good overall. Uh, we talked last episode about how Inside Out didn't reach number one at the domestic box office until its third weekend in theaters. The Good Dinosaur has the dubious distinction of being the lone Pixar film ever made, which never led the domestic box office, coming closest in its opening weekend after hauling in thirty nine point one five five million and finishing second to The Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part Two's second weekend yeah. out in theaters, which it made fifty. $2 million that week. The critic score is back up. It's fairly pedestrian box office showing as this film has a 6.7 IMDb rating on under 100,000 reviews. It's still certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, barely at 76%. How? Uh, How? <laughs> How? 208 reviews. 50 of those reviews are rotten. It's by far the most of any Pixar film we reviewed thus far, though not the leader in the Pixar clubhouse overall. A 65% audience score on 58,000 plus reviews and a 66 Metascore on Metacritic above only Cars 2, Cars 3, and Monsters University somehow as far as Pixar films getting Metascored go. It also wasn't nominated at the Oscars, landing only a Golden Globe nom for animated feature, which it lost to Inside Out, and it alongside Cars 2 and Monsters University went down at that point as the only three Pixar films ever released to not be nominated for the animated feature category and the Oscars overall since the category was created in 2001-2002. Plot premise reads, in a world... <laughs> this is a problem. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a good start. Cliche. Not a good start. In a world where dinosaurs and humans live side by side. Calling BS right off the bat <laughs> because they do not live side by side. This is not an equal footing. This no. is deceptive. All right. In a world where dinosaurs and humans live side by side. And a patasaurus. That's what we want to learn about, right, yeah. Mike? We want a movie with an apatosaurus. Or a cobra with arms like this one had. And a patasaurus <laughs> named Arlo yeah. makes an unlikely human friend. Well, if they live side by side. <laughs> why is it an unlikely human friend? Why? Probably a fair criticism. The premise, right from the stupid premise, yeah. this movie is effed. I'm trying not to swear on these <laughs> Pixar pods because you might, for some crazy reason, have it on with your kids in the car. Yeah. Um, look, 
I, I, I'm going to try to play devil's advocate throughout pieces of this episode because I know Mike has a lot of uh, venom for this movie, but that's a rough start. It could be a product of there being so many different writers that they didn't know how to adequately yeah. pitch this to marketing companies. So let's get into our expectations here, Mike. I, I knew going in this was their only flop. In my brain, I thought I had seen this movie, but I actually did not. So I, when I put this movie on, I'm like, wow, I've never seen this before, so let's go. And I had rock-bottom expectations. I'm like, figuring, even the worst Pixar That's movies got to be somebody, it's yeah. got to be a decent movie, That's right? That's how I felt. The critic scores are still positive. It's still certified fresh. It's got to be good. And I figured it was going to be a bit of a beautiful mess. And it is beautiful. We're going to get into production values in a minute, but it is such a mess. And the story is so absurd. Yeah. I can't wait to get into it. What were your expectations? No, you hit it on the head for me. I thought the same thing. I was like, how bad can a Pixar movie even be in reality? Because we're dealing with like the cream of the crop in these 90s and, and 80s and Metascores and yep. tomato meter scores, IMDb, 8-point whatevers. So I thought the same thing. And, and it's just, I mean... You know, I, I said to you, I think the third act is good. It's exciting. It's fine writing. I don't yeah. think it meets the level of Pixar writing. But the first 70 minutes of this 93-minute movie are just like ugh, a slug. I think it works as like an action movie a little bit. Like yeah. The action is good. I have that in my notes. It might be like the best action sequences Pixar's done. But the story is but, so yeah. dumb. Yeah. And I think they're looking at the footage. Like, if you were in the Pixar, quote-unquote, brain trust, right? If you're in the higher-ups at Pixar, if you watch, like, scene for scene, a few scenes are going to just drop your jaw. Yeah, because sure. Because to talk about production value, this was a beautiful mess because it's a beautiful-looking movie. The animation, some of it is stunning. Like, they, yes, they did take a field trip to the American Northwest mm -hmm. when they figured that they wanted the dinosaurs <laughs> to be cowboys and the dinosaurs to be farmers and ranchers yeah. and Sam Elliott's. Yeah, that's a kind of a problem in and of itself to me. I don't know if I thought I was making a dinosaur movie. I'd be like, oh, let's go to Seattle. Yeah, that wouldn't be my first stop. What the hell is going on? <laughs> what a mess. But the biggest... Animation innovation came with the weather effects, Mike. They assigned all those volumetrics that we talked about in Brave mm -hmm. from the Bears. They assigned those to the clouds for the first time. They actually like filled the clouds up with water. They gave it all the weight, and the clouds would rain down on the, the characters. I guess Storms they to... look great. The they storms really look did. great. They look great. They're Hand of God, Deus Ex Machina, yeah. times three. Sure. We'll get into that, but... The clouds were animated or animated. Either one. Beautifully, and they're given weight and body there, and I like that. I thought the backgrounds weren't even that. I mean, compared to what we've had in Wally -E and Up and Brave, I wasn't even. I wasn't that blown away with the backgrounds. I thought they were kind of a step back, to be honest. Well, they did do something different with the mapping because there's a couple shots like on the planes there yeah where it's more like a video game it's like grand theft auto 3 they have this whole map and they they widened up the world so that they can shoot from every and any angle and they kind of did in that scene it's a bit disorienting in a way but i i, I liked it that they gave you that spin around so that's super innovative as pixar is always known for i wonder though if because they didn't base this directly on a place that they had visited, like Paradise Falls and up is that spot in Venezuela. Yeah. The, the junkyards in Wally are the junkyards they saw in their research. Ratatouille, the background is specific spots in France because they went and visited there. I wonder because this isn't 
a spot they scouted. I mean, they went to the Pacific Northwest, but they only went to go look at like farmlands and plains and stuff like that because they didn't go to a rainforest. I wonder if that's lacking a little bit for me anyway, that yeah. they, they that there's just some kind of artistic integrity underlying that's not here for this one. So to talk about the re- reviews of performances and character anim- animations, it stems right from that because the opening scene of this film is the meteor missing Earth. And basically <laughs> you asking, what if yeah. the dinosaurs were never extinct? Stinked it, it did, or whatever that. But it doesn't even really is. ask that. So, it doesn't, right? <laughs> it doesn't because instead they animate these characters like Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. Why are these characters looking like Wallace and Gromit? Did they hire the whole staff from Wallace and Gromit? I figured they brought in Wallace and Gromit people from. <laughs> Just like they brought in Brad Bird. When I was shocked to hear that these were all Pixar people. Did Wallace I'm, and Gromit hurt you as a young child? No, I like <laughs> Wallace and Gromit. I like Chicken Run. They made a bunch of those movies. Chicken yeah. Run. Those people with those claymation and the no... like They, they copied Wallace and Gromit. Sure. So you can get Planet of the Apes out of this. You, you could get Planet of the Dinosaurs. So, Mike, why didn't they connect this like alternative history yeah to the planes in a more realistic way like you can totally have fun with that yeah you could say this is the way prehistoric you know you can connect it to history but then put your own twist on it and it it, none of that comes across it just looks like the planes of okie dokie or whatever i'll be honest too that's a great point for one and also you're making a huge statement right off the bat like what if the meteor missed right and then you're not going forward in Have time. Fun with that. Yeah, you're not. You're, you're just like the meteor is inconsequential to this movie. Right. <laughs> have fun with your premise, and totally you don't have fun with it. This should be the planet of the lizard people. Right. Like These, it's not like it's it's evolved human species interacting with dinosaurs. It's still cavemen interacting with dinosaurs. The the, uh, the dinosaurs are people. <laughs> They're cowboys and ranchers, and the humans are dogs. Yeah. That's what this yeah. movie is. No, that's pretty much and right. And it's all absurd. And maybe they got, they get a big hit. Maybe they thought because they were hitting a batting a thousand on movies where they had the dog-like characterization this in the is... Wallies, in the dogs from Ops. Maybe they thought they could get away with it with humans. This here. is disturbing because it's like a four-year-old kid who's a dog kid. He's a human dog kid, and we're spo- I'm rooting for the dog people. And he looks nothing like his family, by the way. At the end, well, that <laughs> that's wasn't a spoiler, his, fa- his family. Well, no, but, but anyway, Mike, there are terrible storms in this film because yeah. God is smiting <laughs> this creation, which is just abominable. It's an abominable creation, and uh, our Christian, Judeo-Christian God is smiting them with global weirding, global warming. And I'm shocked that they're making these statements about the uh, environment because a dinosaur-led society is no better than a human-led society with all these storms. And how their crops can survive all these storms is beyond me. It's total BS and totally absurd from the very beginning of the movie. Ed Catmull, one of the uh, Pixar board members, he said, quote, of Peterson, all directors get really deep in their film. Sometimes you just need a different perspective to get the idea out. Sometimes directors are so deeply embedded in their ideas, it actually takes someone else to finish it. Look, there are a hundred things wrong with the story. I'm going to rip off all of them in spoilers. <laughs> but I will say this. This film's problem doesn't exist in a third act. It exists in the premise. Yeah. It doesn't exist because Peterson gets lost in act two. This is Pixar just BSing. They know this more than anyone. 
They know that if you have Act Three problems, it's probably because you got an Act One problem. Yeah, for a start for a, uh, a company that's so predicated on story first, story first, story first. It's, yeah. Well, yeah. they have an issue with in the workplace, and they BS their way out of yeah. it. And here, it's, yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna come point. down hard on it. Really good it, This is an issue with its story, and they obviously got a flop on their hands, and they got everybody spouting. You know, all this BS. So, look, watch this movie for the sheer ridiculousness of it. Watch it for its production values, which, you know, some of which are nice. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we can dance here because I'm ready. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) Spoilers ahead! Good idea. We want him. Why? Because it's terrifying out here. He can protect me like my friends. This is Fury. He protects me from the creatures that crawl in the night. This is Destructor. She protects me from mosquitoes. This is Dream Crusher. He protects me from having unrealistic goals. And this is Debbie. This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for Pixar's The Good Dinosaur, brought to you as part of the Pixar Rewatch series from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause, go watch it. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back, if you've seen the movie already. If you know what happens, just want to hear our thoughts, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section so much for you in the first half of this episode that you can't go another minute without hearing what does go down with The Good Dinosaur, this is where you want to be. It is the Mike, Mike, and Oscar review of The Good Dinosaur from Pixar as part of our Pixar Rewatch series. Usually, we will start the spoiler section by going over one of those aforementioned 22 rules of screenwriting success from Pixar, but Mike here has a lot of fire and fury and righteous indignation that he needs to get off his chest. Alright, so Father Brown, let's go, <laughs> let's run with the pre- premise for a second. Father Brontosaurus is basically farming these fa- uh, fields as the greatest farmer in the history of any timeline. Yes. Alright, you, you take out whatever Infinity Stone you want, <laughs> any timeline, this Brontosaurus is the greatest farmer of all of those timelines. Very efficient. Very efficient. Just plows a field in minutes. He's great with his nose. He's the greatest farmer ever. All these other brontosauruses, brontosauri, Mm -hmm. can be just as good. Okay? The mother brontosaurus... After the father dies, the mother brontosaurus is like, what are you saying about she's, women here? Yeah. That you, she can't farm a half as, yeah. She's just going to co- collapse and wobble her knees. It's the most effed up thing ever. It's ridiculous. The two kids and the mother, first of all, the two kids and the mother, it, it's I'm, I'm so I, angry. No, I'm so angry because they they make this big imperative on the kid. We have to farm this corn before the winter storms hit because brontosauruses are fucking cowboys and ranchers. So we have to do this. And then the kids. So the, all right, that's the imperative for Act Two. And then the kid goes off, gets lost, and then the mother does it anyway. Mm. She she succeeds. So that was total BS. Like the whole imperative of Act 2 is BS. Everything the father wanted the kid to do, the kid doesn't do. Yeah. And the whole point of the story is pointless <laughs> from the jump. He's making his mark for what reason? He forced the rest of his family to do all the farming. He didn't he didn't solve the human dog pest problem at all. Now the other the human dogs are going to join together and all together steal their corn. What the hell is going on? All right, I'm rambling. All right, let's get back to it. Mm-hmm. Number one, mm-hmm. brontosauruses. Mm. What timeline and what Infinity Stone, Mike, <laughs> do brontosaurus not just eat leaves? Well, they're collecting grains, at All least. Right. 
They yep. collect grains and they eat corn. And the kid's got a job to handle the chickens. Yeah. Brontosauruses are vegetarians. Uh, yeah. You I don't can't. explain that. Why <laughs> do the chickens even exist? For eggs? What? They don't eat. They're, they're vegetarians. <laughs> Unless you tell us that they're carnivores. <laughs> that they eat only eggs benedict. Apatosauruses. <laughs> what do apatosauruses eat? We assume that these brontosauruses are apatosaurus. Maybe an apatosaurus had a broader palate. Yeah, they ran with the uh, the farming analogy there, I but, will say. Oh, my God. Okay, so, all right, fine. <laughs> Let all those things go. Let all those things go. I'll take 10 Lewis Black deep breaths. <laughs> Why is there a river right next to their home that is like a slipstream from Finding Dory? Again, the road in Pet Cemetery, the slipstream in Finding Dory. This is like, it's always the nightmare right in the front of the house. The attractive nuisance right so next how, to it, yeah. How do they not teach these kids to swim? Because the river's not that crazy. It's no. not that crazy. These are huge dinosaurs. No matter what you say, the huge dinosaur, if it could swim, will be fine. Yeah, yeah. At, uh, maybe they were too busy farming throughout these kids' childhoods. All right. They couldn't teach them to swim. So Dog Boy. (laughs) Dog Boy is smart enough to bite the heel of Dinosaur to make a dino bridge. Yes. But how does he know that the dino bridge is going to happen? Like, why wouldn't he bite the... You have a big problem with Pixar relying on bridges made of living beings. You have this issue with Inside Out, too, with the boyfriends. With the boyfriends. It's, you know, it's a cartoon still. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Because Dino Boy is smart at times. Yes. Dog Boy. He knows what needs to be done. Dog Boy is smart, and then he acts like a dog. Why? The schools aren't developed. I had less of a problem with that. <laughs> they just want him to act like a dog because they think in their warped minds. Yes, that I agree with that. Funny. I agree with that. They think it's an out card. They think there's that those uh, the kid in this one is going to be akin to like Doug. So we get a pterodactyl. I like the villain little thing there. That's fine. Steve's on. It's a little crazy. He's talking about the eye of the storm. All right. The pterodactyl saves this little critter. Mm. Is that funny when he just eats that beautiful animal? <laughs> Pixar has shown us they're not afraid to to see some show some pretty gruesome stuff to get the fact over of their antagonist being an evil person or an evil being, right? I, we saw this in A Bug's Life, how scary it was for that Kevin Spacey bug at the end. All right, so more worse scenes have to continue. T-Rexes <laughs> are cowboys that apparently don't eat Apatosauruses. Yeah, I didn't get that. Why? So anyway, Just so you can have the moral of don't judge a book by its cover on its I'll, nose. There. I'll give you my harmonica for that critter, and the, the, the harmonica's a bug. <laughs> and then he, he's like, "No, my critter's not for sale." And and then the guy just eats the bug harmonica. Yeah. All right. So Sam, <laughs> Sam Elliott tells a story. Sam Elliott tells a story about the crocodile, and he's got a crocodile tooth still through his gums. That crocodile tooth would have been infected years ago mike he would be dead he would be stone dead ridiculous why are any humans wearing clothes if they're dogs it's pixar man i mean what do you want you know i'm just being naked the whole time no but i just don't don't make them dogs if they're smart enough to put on clothes then they're not dogs all right it's really bad that's fine and then why do the caveman dog kids have gray hair that i can't answer they have gray hair yeah I, Caveman I, dog kids. Yeah, and the family at the end apparently wasn't Spot's family. 
No, it was a different family. Why is he going with them? I don't know because apparently, you know, these dog kid, dog people families. They just go with their own kind? Other kids, yeah. So it's a race war. He could, if he's a dog, he should be the dino dog. He should be the dinosaur's dog. I agree. What are you saying by having him just leave the person he went through all these trials and tribulations with, with the who's a different species? Dog people. Just because they're of his kind. That's a bad message. Exactly. It, it's ridiculous. So he doesn't help his pet. Why would they let him make his mark at the end of the movie? He accomplished nothing. <laughs> we got brave. He got brave. Well, what did he accomplish? <laughs> Nothing. It looks like a meritocracy. It looked like these parents were teaching the kids about product productivity and hard work and actually accomplishing something. And it was tough love, but it was t tough love done right. And then he, the kid gets to make his mark by just not dying. Uh, I will agree with your overriding hypothesis here that of the Pixar stories. This is far and away the one most riddled with holes, and more so than that, the one with the least explanations for the holes. And not it's not that we rely on plot holes as like a main source of criticism, but when they're so glaringly obvious as some of these are, they do need to be addressed to I get guess, past it as a viewer. I, I watched this movie one and a half times. I couldn't get through my second viewing because it was bothering me too much. <laughs> right. But it all stems back from the original premise, Mike. And, and here's the rule of storytelling. Yeah, for, give it to us. Day. So rule number 14 is fascinating. This is right this. on the money. I can't believe we. And again, as a reminder, we haven't lined up these rules with no. the movies. We're not doing these Pixar movies in order. <laughs> no. So we couldn't, like, we're not lining them up. Why must you tell this story? What's the belief burning within you that your story feeds off of? That's the heart of it. Yeah, and that's the point that I just couldn't come up with in the history of Pixar section. There's What is the need to tell this story other than Bob Peterson wanting a story with nice dinosaurs? Mike, I, it's finally time, said Bob Peterson, <laughs> to get to know the dinosaur. Yeah, I don't know what that means. So let's make the dinosaur an 18th century rancher. I mean, look. If to... you want to get to know a dinosaur, <laughs> don't make him an 18th century rancher. Also... Don't have that as a premise for your film because we have to, it's time to get to know the dinosaur is as like useful a campaign slogan as like, let's get down to the science of time travel. It's all, it's not, it's, yeah, it's not, you can't, it's not a real thing anymore. You, nobody was there to relay this story. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you don't have any firsthand knowledge about this stuff anymore. They should have heard that quote from him and that's probably what he got fired, right? <laughs> Tom, I've got to let you go. It's time to get to know the dinosaur. <laughs> this is a movie about... I thought we hired you to make a film about a toaster. This is this is a metaphor for the Old West. Yeah. Obviously, what dinosaur are we getting to know? The you people are dogs. You said you were making a film about wizards? <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah, that's... I mean, look, and that's a... Pixar not abiding by their own rules here, right? No. Because unless the only belief of why this story needs to get made is that we believe in Bob Peterson's vision because he got us through up yeah. and we think there's money in his vision. That's the only excuse you could have. And then clearly you don't believe in his vision because you remove him from the project. But they're like, he's making a movie about dinosaurs. How hard is this? We've seen it done a million times. We've seen it done easily. Yeah. Why there should not? be money in it. A Pixar dinosaur movie. You <laughs> you can't go in trying to be friends with 
make it relatable, <laughs> you know? And trying to be friends with a dinosaur is not a relatable enough concept. Yeah. If you have the two different species of beings and you want to have, like, a don't judge a book by its cover as your moral, you've done that as Pixar. You've had success with that. Do that again with the, with the human and the dinosaur. I mean, that's a relatable story, but right. literally, like... Having a dinosaur do well by his family, that's a really tough metaphor, especially when you don't show the family for 90% of the movie. In A Bug's Life, the bugs are stilling, still doing bug things. Right. right. And you mix the two kind of species. Right. Here, you don't anthropomorphize things fully. These dinosaurs are basically just the ranchers, right? There's not They're not really dinosaurs at all. What is dinosaur about them, other than the way that they maybe farm more efficiently than humans? And they got into that in the research they were excited to on to roll out their animation with dinosaurs how they had the head moving one way and the neck moving another way and they said the difficulties they encountered in animation with having a a, a four-legged beast or four-legged being for the majority of their movie in their main protagonist like that's all there and that's all on display and like we said there's parts of this that do look great but for a company that's been so hitting us over the head with how important story is and how their story first and they don't want to be known as just a technology company they chose to be in their inception in 1995 they wanted to be a story company uh, they, they kind of lost their way here I they think lost it's easy their way say. here absolutely they trusted a person instead of what he put on the, on yeah. the page and to talk about the finale a lot of it does work but why would the pterodactyls not tear the kid apart in midair? Why would they bring the kid back down yeah, to the dinosaur yeah. on land? That was a lazy and, out. And then we get a waterfall scene. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you have deus ex machina storms in Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3, or break in Act 2, whatever. Uh, you have one right there with the father, deus ex machina. Oh, you have one with the asteroid. Yeah. Deus ex machina, hand of God, act of God. And then uh, right at the end... That storm hits and the dam breaks again right when they needed it to to just have a suspenseful scene. Yeah. It's, I'm sorry. That's terrible. And there's no real antagonist throughout the movie. The, the pterodactyl is the closest we come to getting one, and they're not really there except when they need a, a suspenseful action scene. Yeah, because the power of flight will make you insane because you can fly <laughs> above the storms. Like, what are they saying, Mike? And I don't... What's the moral of this movie? I don't know. The right. kid accomplishes nothing. He just like, gets home. Are you? Is it to find your inner braveness? Is it to not judge a book by its cover? Is it to you know things aren't always what they seem, and people with that are different on the surface level can find inner meat? Like they try to again, and this is a problem. This is a criticism I have with a lot of movies that, in my view, don't work. It's like they just take a bunch of things yeah. at the out and just like find a moral. Whereas, and again, I'm going to get criticism for this too, but you could do that purposefully which i think jordan peele did in us mm -hmm. i mean you could find something but you, there's an artful way to do it and there's this which reeks of desperation this is desperation this is just trying to pull something coherent yeah, right. together and it make it really does not make sense and it doesn't make sense at the premise level and act one level you wonder why you got act three problems i just want to ask you uh one more question before we try some heartbreaks and happiness because there's a few yeah Mike, are these dinosaurs inbred? Because there's no society. These brontosaurus parents, are they brother and sister? We don't see any town. We don't have... Like, is this Yorgos Lanthimos's dog tooth? There's no neighbors. Yeah, there's no... Uh, what is happening? Like no other dinosaurs. Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> what reason does this kid have to excel? What's the incentive? Like, are, what are... There's no point making a movie this small and then try and make it big just yeah. before... Force it bigger, like on an adventure. 
Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point too, in that there's not enough they they try to shoehorn in an adventure to a point where you're only you don't have you're not introduced to characters. And we talked about how awesome Pixar is at introducing character after character after character after character. They do it in every movie, and this one there's just there's not. Okay, so heartbreaks and happiness a little quicker today. Uh I have one heartbreak. It's not really that much, but it's sad when the dog boy tells Dino I don't even know what the good dinosaur's name is. Arlo. Arlo. When Dogboy tells Arlo that his family is dead and he does it with pictograms or little sticks. Yeah, and they bring that full circle at the end, pun intended, when Arlo does the drawing the circle right. around all like the cave that. people. That was nice. Yes, I agree. That was a, that was a touching moment. Um, I also I thought it was cool that Arlo was able to save from the raptors, from the pterodactyls. He did find his bravery. That message he did find across. some bravery. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't have much as far as, you know, heartwarming, almost in tears moments like Pixar is usually known for. Always known for. And, I, and I'm sensitive to the fact that we have double standards at times. Sure. Where, where, where We're we, human. Can, we can say that, you know, this movie is just not good for a Pixar movie. I'm saying it's just not good for a movie, period. That's what I'm saying today. But yeah, th- this is not good for a Pixar movie yeah. and it's not good, period. It's, yeah, it's, it's rough. I don't know that I would, uh... That I would be very high on it myself. Now, I, like, I like Forrest Woodbush. <laughs> the giant uh, Triceratops. I thing. did too. That was one of my... This he is has dream, all the pets. This is Dream Crusher. He keeps me from having unrealistic goals. Mike, give me 15 characters <laughs> yeah. like that. This kid's going to go on the road. Let him meet those 15 yes, characters. Yes, I agree. Let all those characters come back and farm and the freaking yeah. farm. Yeah. And then you movie fixed. It's fine. It's not a feminist movie, but at least the imperative that the mother says, I can't finish. So you farm the freaking farm, and then, oh my God, we have a community. See? Pixar. Your lips to God's ears, man. I can't really, you know. This is a... Bad. I'm higher on it than you. I do think the third act has some Pixar things in it, but this is the farthest removed from any Pixar movie so, that we've done so far. So do you have any happiness? I got a couple more. I like Firefly, Lightbug, Frolicking Scene with the Father. I thought that was beautiful. I thought the storms were beautiful as well. The storms were beautiful. Arlo finding his bravery and having, you know, having the Act 1 sequence where he's being taken away by the current, and then Act 3 he has to fight against the current and he learns how to be brave. Yeah. That was kind of cool. I, I thought that, did, well, that was kind of tightly written. Again, I thought Act 3 had highlights, but they weren't to the level of Pixar highlights. The vision of the father, and he's not making his track. He's not making his mark. Yeah, that was, that was cool. I, I like that. I, I loved how they ate peyote berries or whatever those berries. That came from out of nowhere. This just got them super high. Yeah. They had a quick trip. They passed out. I don't normally like drug culture humor. That's just me. <laughs> but this makes the whole plot make sense because it tells me that they like drug culture humor. It tells me that they're <laughs> drug addicts. It tells me that they... All of them just took drugs throughout and this there's, movie. And there's a chance that this entire movie was just a peyote Yeah, high. this is just total. <laughs> all of them just, just smoking whatever. Yeah. Whatever they were doing, that's what happened during this one. But the, the finally, you know, that run back home before, like, he comes into the pterodactyls. Mm-hmm. And we have a final confrontation. After he leaves the T-Rexes, that run back home over the mountains is gorgeous. And they put their heads above the clouds. I mean, I thought that was... Incredibly, low. yeah, I thought that was cool. Again, well, I was animated, I was kind of yeah. I was kind of lower, I guess, in the background stuff than than you were for some reason. I I, I struggled to put my finger on exactly why, but yeah, yeah man, this was uh, not good. This was rough. This was not 
even for a bad Pixar movie, this was just, uh, I, I don't know that I would call it a bad movie per se, because there are some lessons you can glean from it. If it's supposed to be for kids, I wouldn't have a problem letting my niece or nephew watch it. Right. I could see them finding entertainment in it. So Yeah, I mean, the blowing through the whack-a-mole colony. I mean, because he's anti-community, because there's no communities in the dinosaur world. <laughs> right. They're just all inbred little <laughs> pockets of people. So they're anti-communities of, you know, whack-a-moles. So... They will just run amok and blow through the hole and, and make them all, you know, angry at him. So uh, I got that. Like, yeah, these are just, just like, this is, like, the themes are not good here. No, the if you go, the subtext that they're trying to present is uh, rough. And, you know, coming up on the heels of this, right after Good Dinosaur came out, this came out in November of 2015, Finding Dory was June 2016, which made a lot of money, but wasn't necessarily a, a big smash hit with the critics. Cars wow. 3 was next. Yeah, so we had like a golden age for a while there. Yeah, 20, they, 2015. I mean, Inside Out was obviously huge. Yep. We had our issues with it, but 2015 to 2017, uh, 2017 had some issues, and then it wasn't until late 2017 with Coco, and then followed by The Incredibles 2, and now we're awaiting Toy Story 4, obviously in real time. So, uh, I guess uh, we could wrap this up with words of wisdom. We want to yep. hear your comments, questions, concerns about this, and anything else having to do with Pixar are any of our rewatch episodes anything that we have coming up or we've already done in the mmo empire you can reach us we are mike mike and oscar on facebook mike mike and oscar on instagram mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we're available everywhere you hear podcasts tune in stitcher soundcloud itunes spotify google play etc etc uh michael what do you got what's coming up next for us and what's some words of wisdom so words of wisdom are if you want to watch a dinosaur movie Watch the land of before time. Watch it. <laughs> Not even Jurassic Park, huh? Listen to our top. Well, an animated dinosaur movie, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, Jurassic Park's terrific. Watch the land before time and see how this storyline is done correctly. And maybe that's my bias. Maybe this is a better movie than I thought. And I just love Land Before Time Holding so much. Holding on desperately to the Land it Before was Time. Top uh, five movie event for me to go back yeah. to that pod. It was one of my first movie memories. So I was a little disappointed by this, to say the least. Uh, in terms of what we're doing next, we have uh, Rocket Man. Rocket Man! And we have Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs! <laughs> Uh, we're going to get that Tarantino rewatch started for you. We got Cars 1, 2, and 3, that massive episode coming out eventually when Mike and I can... I'm not motivated to do it now after this, I'll tell you. Uh, we got Coco, we got Coco. Yeah, we can Coco. procrastinate with one more episode. Be a palate clan. Maybe we'll just do all the Toy Stories, including Toy Story 4. and just You guys are all right if we never get to Cars, right? <laughs> we could do one more procrastination episode of Coco. All right, we'll have to do the Cars episode, I guess. But we, we, uh, after that, it's the Cars episode, and then we're going to do Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3 in those final week and a half before... Yeah. Story Coming to a close uh, rapidly. All right, guys. Uh, when reality sucks, you could watch movies with us. We are trying to make award season year round without all the stuffiness. Uh, this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Thank you for listening as always, and we will check you out next time. See you.